Hi, welcome to Grace Church. It's great to have you all here this morning. My name is Justin Ross. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace, and uh, I want to welcome all those that are watching online. We're so glad that you're tuning in as well, and uh, it's really good to see everyone here that's uh, here live and in person. It's always good to see the chairs filling up a little bit more. Hopefully soon we'll be able to get even more chairs in here, but uh, it's great to have you all here with us, and we're so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. We are in part three of a four-week series called Can We Trust the Scriptures? And last week, um, I dropped some theology on you. We learned a kind of a big theological uh, term, and it was called verbal plenary inspiration, which means every word, all of the words, are God-breathed, God-inspired. Every word, all of the words, are God-breathed, God-inspired. And... Uh, so we're, we've been diving in, trying to unpack why do we trust the Scriptures? Why do we rely on the Scriptures? And you might be asking, Justin, like, why are we talking about this right now in, in this day? Um, why are we dealing with this topic of can we trust the Scriptures? And uh, I think the answer was given to us in that beautiful song that Amaya just sang for us of Captain. The reason why we're dealing with this is because we need something that will help us to point back the true north. We need something that will help to align us and, and to know the right direction, the right path to take when the noise and the chaos is kind of all around us and, and it's getting distracting and confusing and uh, downright frustrating sometimes. You need something that will point you true north. That's why we're talking about this because... I am trying to encourage you as your pastor to, to go to the Scriptures for your source of hope, for your source of empowerment and confidence, for um, uh, going to the Scriptures for um, that true north. That's why we're dealing with this. We're talking about this because here at Grace Church, we rely on the truth of God's Word as our final authority in our personal lives, in our small groups, in our services, and even in our discipleship. We rely on the Scriptures, on the truth of God's Word. So today we're going to talk about a couple reasons why we can trust the Bible and why you can open it up confidently knowing that you're going to hear from God, that you're actually reading the story of God, and God is going to speak to you through His Word. But before we do that, I, I actually want to talk to you for just a moment uh, I want to talk to you from my heart as your pastor. Before we do this, I, I want to talk to you about something that really, honestly, it concerns me in these days that we're living in, these uh, kind of these broken, noisy, crazy days that we're in. I think all of us would agree that um, the days that we're in are a little bit different um, than maybe what we experienced at the beginning of this year. But on Sunday, March 15th of this year, for the first time in the history of this church, we closed our doors to physical gatherings. And we didn't close our church. We closed the doors to physical gatherings, and we had church online. We started meeting online, and our world was about to change, not knowing the danger, the reach, or the carnage that was going to be caused by this virus that was 
22 weeks ago, okay, 22 weeks ago when we first uh, stopped having services here at Grace, 22 weeks, the first 10 weeks or so, we saw incredible growth online. I mean, we had um, a lot of people tuning in online, and we were um, seeing God do great things in spite of um, what was going on around us. But as the weeks went on, week 15, you know, week 16, 17, week 18, so on and so forth, uh, so on and so forth, the the numbers started to drop. I know some of you watching online right now, you, you haven't been able to meet physically with us for over three months. Three months. That's a long time. Not connect physically with people, to not uh, connect physically with your church. Be around people that are encouraging you and building you up and hopefully uh, you know, praying for you and, and just being friendly to you and having, having community. It's a long time. Currently, the number of people watching online has has drastically dropped. And we're, you know, in our services here at 9 o'clock and at 10.30, we're, uh, we're capped at 50. We're not to have more than 50 people in this room. Now, I, I just wanted to say as your pastor, I get it, okay? Like, I get it. If I never had a Zoom meeting again for the rest of my life, I would be ecstatic, okay? I get it. It's tough sometimes to have online meetings, let alone to, to watch, you know, about an hour-long service online. That can be difficult. It can be trying. It's, it, it's not the easiest thing to do sometimes, but I just wanted to encourage you. Here's what we have to understand. The church of God does not view itself as just another essential business. We are followers of Jesus Christ, and we've been commanded to go into all the world in spite of a pandemic. We've been um, instructed to uh, fulfill certain practices, and and, and the, the Scripture teaches us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Like, And the reason why God tells us this is because I am so quick to stray. I am so quick to go the wrong way. Like, it's not even funny how quick it is for me to get off the right path. And so I need to gather with people of God for accountability, for people to speak truth into my life, for people to say, Justin, man, how's your marriage? How are you doing raising your boys? You know, to be able to just speak to me and ask me some hard questions, I need that. And so I think that's why God said, hey, don't forsake getting together because you need that. All of us are so quick to wander, to to stray. God knew that, and so he says, hey, you need to consistently get together so that you can encourage one another. We can build each other up. You know, throughout history, the church has temporarily suspended uh, gatherings sometimes in cases of epidemic or open war or personal illness. But she has quickly returned to gatherings in corporate worship throughout history. The church has quickly returned to corporate worship. The church 
See, what the church does is the church gathers and then the church scatters, okay? We gather so that we can have our tank filled up, so we can have the dents knocked out of our armor, and then we scatter to go and be a blessing in our workplaces and to our neighbors and to our friends and to our family. We gather and then we scatter. Sometimes the church has gathered in free societies with governmental approval. Sometimes the church has done so against the approval of governments or ruling dictators. Now, thankfully, we live in a country where we are free to worship, and I thank God for that. So I'm encouraging you. I'm just encouraging you as your pastor. Those of you who call Grace Church home, I'm I'm encouraging you to make the choice to be involved. Make the decision to commit, to gather with the people of God at Grace Church. It may be online for a while longer. It may be here physically, but make the choice. Your life is a... Your life is summarized by your choices. I mean, that's what your life is, is a series of decisions that you make. Make the decision, make the commitment to be a part of our gatherings, to be a part um, of of connecting with one another. Check in with each other, to build friendship, to build community. We need it. You need it. Make the commitment to gather, whether it be online online, or physically here at our services. And you might say, Justin, didn't you just preach a series that said stop going to church? <laughs> yeah, I did. All right. I wasn't trying to confuse you. All right. Uh, my intent was, hey, we need to be the church. All right. But gathering is still important. But we can't just gather and leave unchanged. We have to gather and then we have to walk out of here different. We have to make choices to be better in our, um, in our lives. So, I just want to encourage you with that because we need each other's encouragement. We need community and uh, we need to make the decision to commit to that. So we're in part three of a series, Can We Trust the Scriptures? And last week we looked at who wrote the Bible. We talked about how the Bible was written by over 40 different authors. Over 40 different authors contributed to the writings of Scripture they, they wrote the scriptures over a time period of 1,600 years. And they were on three different continents. And yet the Bible fits together perfectly, which is truly miraculous. It's truly amazing. Last week, when we looked at who wrote the Bible, we saw that God used kings, philosophers, fishermen, scholars, statesmen, poets. He used a doctor. He used common, everyday people. Once again, we learned that term, verbal plenary inspiration. We learned that every word, every part of the Bible is God-breathed, God-inspired. And today, what we're going to do is ask the question, and I'm going to try to answer the question, is the Bible reliable? And so I just want to encourage you, if you have a notepad, if you have a pen, I want to encourage you to try to take some notes because I think this is our, this is really our foundation here. This is where we go to for pointing us true north. So I think it's important to to learn some things, to to, to try to jot some things down that hopefully will be a a benefit to your life. But is the Bible reliable is the question we're trying to answer. Because if it's the very words of God, 
Does it contain errors? Does it contain contradictions? Can we trust the Scriptures to point us to the One who will save our souls? Once again, if we're going to make such bold claims as a church or as individuals that the Scriptures are the final authority in our church or in our small groups or in our personal lives, we better have at least a couple reasons why we believe that. I've actually heard some people say, you know, why do you trust the Scriptures? And they would say, because that's just the way it is, you know? And, and that answer doesn't cut it anymore. People that are far from Jesus, they're, they're just going to say, all right, I'm, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. That, that kind of an answer doesn't cut it anymore. I want to start by just reading the words of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16-21. through 21. And remember, Peter was an eyewitness. He was an ear witness to the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And he walked with Jesus. He got to experience Jesus firsthand. And this is what Peter said about the Scriptures. He said, For we are not making up clever stories, when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw His majestic splendor with our own eyes when He received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to Him, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Peter was referring back to the time when Jesus got baptized. Remember when Jesus came up out of the water? A dove ascended from heaven and the voice of God said, This is my dearly beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Peter was there. He experienced that. He he goes on to say, We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. In Christ, the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Every word, all of the words, God breathed. God inspired. So this morning what I want to do is I just want to share four quick reasons why you can trust the Scriptures. And this is not an exhaustive list of all the reasons, okay? There are so many, um, but for the sake of time, we're just going to deal with four quick reasons why you can trust the Scriptures. And once again, I would encourage you to write these down, and hopefully it will be beneficial to your walk and to your life, and help you understand um, why the Scriptures are reliable, why they are trustworthy. But the first reason is early testimony, okay? Very early testimony. A great reason to trust the four Gospels. Let's talk about the four Gospels for just a second. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The Gospels that really tell the story of Jesus Christ. Great reason to trust the four Gospels is because they were written so close to the time of Jesus Christ. They were written by eyewitnesses. People that truly experience this. Now most of you have probably heard of, maybe you haven't, but I I would say most of us have probably heard of a book called The Da Vinci Code. It was written by Dan Brown. Now, uh, the book was written on the idea that the church selected the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, out of um, 80 similar Gospels. 
And Dan Brown, the author, says that the other Gospels were, they were stamped out by the church because the church had an agenda. The church wanted these four Gospels because they, they wanted their agenda to succeed and they wanted power and they wanted money. And basically, he says the church picked the Gospels that best suited their agenda. Now, the truth is, by even the most generous count, there are fewer than 30 Gospels. Like, wow, I thought there were only four. No, there's actually uh, close to 30. But only the four Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, date from the first century. Okay, They were early testimony of the story of Jesus Christ. Now, those Gospels were written by eyewitnesses living in within one generation of Jesus. One generation, when he ascended up into heaven, one, not even one generation passed, and these uh, Gospels were written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Now, the earliest of any of the other Gospels dates more than 100 years after Jesus lived. So most of the other Gospels that are not in our Bibles were written at least 200 years after the life of Jesus. So early testimony really matters. It's really important. I forget things in like minutes, let alone 200 years, okay? I mean, so that's important, early testimony. So before we kind of start unpacking this and we dive into this, I want you to know there's no reason to be concerned about any false gospels. Let me give you an example. Uh, Dan Brown in his book, The Da Vinci Code, he He uses the Gospel of Thomas. This is kind of a popular gospel that a lot of people refer to when they're trying to discredit the Bible. And they'll say, uh, what about the Gospel of Thomas? You know, the Gospel of Thomas was a lost gospel. Why wasn't it added to the Scriptures? And it wasn't added to the Bible that we have today because the Gospel of Thomas is a false gospel. Let me read to you the last passage in the Gospel of Thomas, and you be the one to decide, okay? This is the Gospel of Thomas, verse 114. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Let Mary leave us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, I myself shall lead her in order to make her male, so that she too may become a living spirit, resembling you males. For every woman who will make herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not right, all right? And all the ladies said, amen, right? That's not right. I mean, the early church just simply recognized that is not in alignment with the teachings of Jesus. And the reason they could say that is because in the book of Genesis, in the Old Testament, it says that men and women were both created in the image of God. A woman does not have to become a male to go into heaven. That is a false gospel. That's why the gospel of Thomas is not in the Holy Bible. It didn't match up with the consistency of Scripture. And so it was excluded. It wasn't allowed in. Another example would be the, the gospel of Philip. Now supposedly, Philip says that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married. Okay, this is kind of the big uh, conspiracy, you know, that Jesus was actually married to Mary Magdalene. And in fact, the papyrus on which the Gospel of Philip was written, remember, 
uh, the early writings of Scripture were written on uh, papyrus, which is like reeds. And the papyrus that Philip, uh, the Gospel of Philip was written on was so badly broken. I mean, it's, it's so difficult to read. Let me read to you what it says. Okay? Once again, you, you decide. You decide if Jesus was really married to Mary Magdalene. It says this, And the companion of the, the words were lost and broken. In the companion of the, the words were lost and broken. Mary Magdalene, the words were lost or broken. They couldn't read it. Her more than the disciples, the words were lost or broken. Kiss her on her, the words were lost or broken. The rest of the words were lost or broken. They said to him, why do you love her more than all of us? The end. <laughs> okay? That, that is not very good evidence that Jesus was married. So to make it very clear, the, the lost Gospels, which were never lost, by the way, something can't be lost if they're found. So um, they were not included because they were not God's Word for His church. They didn't consistently align with the teachings of Scripture. So early testimony was very important. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all written within a century of Jesus ascending into heaven, and that's why they are, they are in the Holy Bible. The second reason why we can trust the Bible, uh, the second reason we can trust that the Bible is God's Word is because of embarrassing testimony. All right? Now, if someone was writing about a real event, an event that took place, they would include every detail, including embarrassing details. All right? Hopefully news broadcasters are tuning in right now, all right? Because we want the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We want the, all of the truth. If the Gospels had no embarrassing detail about the key characters, we might question the truth of the stories in the Gospels. But the Gospels do, in fact, have embarrassing details. And remember, these are the writers that are sometimes telling stories about themselves. You would think that they would paint themselves in a good light. But Peter is called, in the Scriptures, he's called a devil. Alright? Jesus' closest disciples were constantly rebuked for their failures and their lack of faith. And um, Remember, Peter was the one that denied Jesus three times. He was a coward at one time in his life. And let's, let's talk about women again. Women in this culture, remember, they, they weren't given a lot of dignity. They had zero rights. But in the stories of Scripture, there are women who are the heroes of the Gospel story, which goes counter to the culture of that day. So if the writers of the New Testament were trying to write a good story, they did a really bad job, all right? But they weren't trying to write a good story. They were writing a true story. Thirdly, we can trust the Scriptures because of excruciating testimony, all right? Have you noticed that all my first words started with the letter E? All right, that's awesome, isn't it? All right, it took me all week to do that, right? Give me a little bit of credit. Say, Justin, that was amazing. That was amazing. All right, thank you, thank you. All right. 
Third reason is because of excruciating testimony. If the, if the disciples really knew that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and they knew that they were spreading a lie, would they have all died for that lie? And don't you think there would have been one disciple that would have said, this is all a big lie. I don't want to be put to death. Because that's kind of the conspiracy that people are trying to build is that Jesus' body was stolen out of the tomb, really didn't rise. So let's, let's talk about the disciples. Remember, there was 12 disciples of Jesus, and 10 out of those 12 disciples were put to death, some horrifically put to death, for their belief in this simple truth that Jesus was once dead, now he's alive. The 11th disciple was actually dipped in a pot of boiling hot water to the point where his flesh was starting to melt off, and he survived, and then they exiled him to an island for this simple belief that Jesus was once dead, and now he's alive. And then there's the 12th disciple, who was Judas, and we know the story of Judas. Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus. Remember, he... Uh, betrayed Jesus with a kiss, and the Roman soldiers arrested Jesus. And then uh, Judas was so overcome with guilt and shame that he betrayed Jesus that he killed himself. So there's excruciating testimony. People, uh, they, they died for this simple belief that Jesus was once dead, now he's alive. And then number four, Extra-biblical testimony. Catch that? All right? In the letter E, man, that's sweet. All right. Extra-biblical testimony. What do I mean by that? How, how does the Bible stack up compared to other ancient documents? We, we have um, some reliability in other ancient documents outside of the Scriptures. So how does the Bible stack up to these other ancient documents? When we compare the New Testament documents other ancient documents, the New Testament blows the other documents out of the water. Hands down. Blows them out of the water when it comes to evidence for reliability. For instance, alright? The third place contestant, alright? Of best preserved ancient work is Sopocles. Sopocles was an ancient Greek writer. And there have been 194 copies of his writings that have been discovered, have been found. And the earliest one dates 1,400 years after the original. Whew, that's impressive. Apocalypse. And in second place, we have Homer's The Iliad. Some of you are probably familiar with this. You might, might have studied this in school. The Iliad has 643 copies that have been discovered, dating 500 years after the original. And in this corner, and still undefeated, we have, with overwhelming evidence, the best preserved ancient work of all time is the New Testament of the Scriptures. 
with over 24,000 handwritten copies dating within 100 to 200 years of the original. Amazing. Now here's, here's what's fascinating to me. I find it so fascinating how in our school systems we would be so quick to study Sopocles or the Iliad long before we would ever study the New Testament. But the New Testament is the undisputed world champion. Why wouldn't we spend more time the New Testament. So th- these are just four quick examples of why we can confidently rely on the truth of God's Word as our final authority in our lives and in our church, in our small groups, and, and in our discipleship. And we could and we should trust the Scriptures to guide our lives. But listen, I could give you evidence all day Do you know what the greatest evidence is? The greatest evidence to the power of this book changed life. I can say that because my life has been changed by this book. Because this book changed, and and this book pointed me, rather, to the one who changed my life, Jesus Christ. And this is where we need to go when we're down and out and struggling. This is where we need to go to find hope and strength and confidence. You know, there's been times where I've gone to the Scriptures and I was feeling full of myself and I thought I knew best and I was better than everybody else and I went to the Scriptures and all of a sudden I was quickly humbled, put back kind of in my place where I needed to be. Gosh, this book is just It'll light you up. It'll encourage you. It'll inspire you. It will once again point you to truth. I'm going to end this morning by just reminding us. I've been given a 30-day challenge throughout this series, and that is to read one chapter out of the Scriptures a day for 30 days. You might say, gosh, I didn't start when this series started. That's okay. You can start today. Just read one chapter a day for 30 days. And just see what God does through His Word in your life. If you read a chapter a day for 30 days, you get to the end and you're like, man, I didn't do anything. Just close it, put it back on your shelf, and it can collect more dust, okay? But I truly believe when you spend time in God's Word and you approach it with the heart attitude to seek the Lord, He's going to reveal Himself to you. It's going to light you up and it's going to be good. And I've been encouraging people to start in the book of Proverbs. It's right in the middle of our, our uh, Bible, it's the book of wisdom. It's actually 31 chapters long, so if you get to day 30, just go one more day at least to day 31 because it's a story or it's a chapter about an incredible woman. So, man, starting the book of Proverbs, I think you would be blessed. You will be encouraged. It's the book of wisdom. In a day, we could use wisdom. It's today, and I think you'll be blessed by it and encouraged by it. Commit to read a chapter a day for 30 days. And I, I want you to know we're not uh, handing out any awards for whoever you know completes this challenge. Um, as a matter of fact, my family and I, we went to the lake, and I actually missed a couple days, you know, so I'm going to have to catch up here. But the idea is just to point you to the Scriptures, right? Because that's where you're going to find 
your source. But we're not going to be legalistic about it. This challenge is just to encourage you to kind of nudge you a little bit uh, to make sure you spend time in God's Word. Next week, we're going to talk about whether or not the Scriptures contain any errors or contradictions. And we're going to talk about why there's so many different translations of Scripture. And, uh, yeah, I think it's good to have that conversation. And uh, I think it'll be beneficial to us. We're not afraid to talk about hard things here at Grace Church. Um, Our vision here is imperfect people leveraging everything for those far from Jesus. So we we recognize that we're imperfect people, and uh, we're going to have imperfect progress. But uh, we're going to talk about things. We're going to be authentic and real, transparent about it, and we're going to continue to point you to Jesus Christ. So hopefully you take that challenge. Hopefully be blessed by it. And uh, I think I'm going to close in prayer this morning. Continue on with our service here. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Just pray, God, that you would uh, you would use this book that is alive and active, and you would uh, use it to cleanse us, Father. You would use it to help those that are maybe struggling, they're feeling down, discouraged, that you would give them hope. You would use this book for those that are feeling arrogant and prideful and like they know it all. And Lord, you would give them some humility. Lord, you would just use this book and Holy Spirit, you would do what you do. You would just use it to make us stronger and more like Jesus Christ. Just pray that uh, Lord, many people would get into your word, they would open it up, and that their marriages would be better because of it. Parenting would be better because of it. Just their their health better. Lord, that holistically, that they would just be ministered to because of their time spent in the Word of God. We ask these things. Amen.